Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. And it is Friday. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith today. And we're going to dedicate some time on the show to making sense of yesterday's BC budget in terms of seeing if this is going to be putting a bigger smile on our faces for the rest of 2024. This is, of course, definitely an election year budget, as everyone's saying. It's got a tilt toward the NDP selling it this way and as a way to make life maybe a bit more affordable for many families. How? Well, we got things like the BC Family Benefit being boosted by 25%, and we've got a modest break on your BC Hydro bills, a bit of a rebate there, and expanded first-time homebuyers plan, and an interesting one on the health front, single IVF round, that could be worth about $20,000 and prohibitive for many, but that round may be picked up by the government for a first round. So there are some interesting points in there. And is it the type of thing that uh, is going to justify a $7.9 billion deficit? There are many schools of thought on that one, or at least two. Alex Hemingway, let's bring him in. He's an economist and public finance policy analyst with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Alex, good morning to you. Good morning, Bruce. So we're spending money, we know that, and are we getting the bang for the buck? What's your take? Yeah. High level on this. Sure. I think it's, you know, it's an interesting election year budget. There's not one big game-changing new program, but there is a range of, of investments in some important areas, including housing, uh, health care, and, and affordability, and, and you touched on a number of them off the top. I think, you know, when you look at the fiscal picture, uh, we know we're in a year where projected economic growth is low. And that, from a from an economic point of view, that's actually a good time to be uh, making sure you're maintaining and increasing public spending. It's an appropriate time to, to run a deficit when the economy is weaker. That can help uh, pump up demand, put dollars in people's pockets. Yeah, uh, I like how you say that because you're not going to win on the deficit front. And if you come to a realization of that, uh, then you have to really go almost heavy in the other direction, don't you? Well, and, and I think, look, uh, we've been through a period of a number of decades in this province uh, where uh, in my view, there was chronic underinvestment in public services and infrastructure, and that uh, has contributed to some of the big challenges we face today, whether it's uh, in a, an overstretched healthcare system or, or that the housing crisis that uh, so many of us are experiencing. So it is good to see the government prioritizing, maintaining that public investment and, and, and taking some new measures uh, uh, rather than going down the road of austerity. And, and there had been some 
some push for that, particularly from some of the uh, corporate lobby groups asking for spending cuts and, and tax cuts. They did actually get a bit of a tax cut uh, uh, in, in this budget as well. So that contributed modestly to, to, to the deficit. There was a cut to the employer health tax. Uh, well, it, the form it took was an increase to the threshold. So now that will only apply to, to businesses uh, with payrolls over $1 million. Well, we can understand where some of the concern is for deficits. Uh, yeah. It's it's not cheap right now to borrow money. It's not for for us consumers, but it's also not cheap for governments when you have a, uh, a key BOC rate of 5%. I think that's that's right. So my view would be that running a deficit now is appropriate for the reasons that, that we just talked about, but particularly in, in the medium and long term, uh, when it comes to reducing uh, the deficit and sustaining badly needed public spending, we want to do that by, by raising additional revenue. And that can come in the form of uh, economic growth raises revenue. But, but we've also argued uh, at, at the CCPA that we'd like to see more action in terms of tax fairness, in terms of uh, raising revenue from those at the very top, from the largest corporations and from the wealthiest few. And, and we do actually have, you know, the economic latitude to do that in a province uh, like BC. We're still actually quite a low tax jurisdiction compared to other provinces. Uh, and, you know, it, that that's pretty widely agreed. Even the credit rating agencies point that out in their reports each year. Moody's notes that, you know, it's a low tax jurisdiction. BC has room to raise additional tax revenue while remaining competitive with other jurisdictions. So, so that's, you know, that's often uh, not on the table when we come to, when we think about reducing deficits, not just a question of constraining spending, it can be a question of raising uh, additional revenue. If we're going to go with this idea of tax fairness, uh, the branding on this is definitely fairness for families. And we start with the BC Family Benefit income threshold being raised to allow maybe 66,000 more families to receive that benefit, which kicks in in July. Right move? Yeah, I think, you know, what we're seeing here, interesting, that these cost of living measures like the BC Family Benefit bonus and and the uh, BC Hydro uh, uh, rebate, you know, it it makes sense at at a time when when the economy is slowing to, to put uh, and when people are struggling to put cash in the hands of households, particularly low and middle income households, I think that makes sense. It's notable about both of those measures, though, that they're uh, they're one off. So that's a one year increase or, or a one year rebate. So these are temporary measures. The more sustained measure is uh, um, an increase in the climate action tax credit, which is another sort of cash back program that's targeted at low and middle income renters. And that uh, rebate will continue to rise. And, and what the government's pointed out in this budget is that they're taking the entire amount of the carbon tax increase for the year and putting into that credit that goes back to households. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I take a look at the BC Hydro bill and everyone likes a little bit of a break, but I think it only amounts to about $100 in a year. Uh, and it's a one-time rebate, so I'm looking at my bill for my townhouse. That's about $150 every two months. A uh, hundred bucks. Uh, you know what? In today's day, that can be gone in a second. Yeah. Um, it really doesn't. It's not going to feel like a lot. No, I think, and ultimately, you really have to get at the root causes of of the affordability crisis that that people are facing. And you know, I think there are a number of ways to do that. 
One is obviously a big component of the affordability challenges is the housing crisis. Uh, and we do see that a substantial new housing program in this budget, the BC Builds program. It was announced a couple of weeks ago, but we see the funding there in the budget. Uh, and, and that goes towards you know, putting government land to use in partnership with nonprofits to create new non-market rental housing aimed at middle income earners. So actually, you know, traditional social housing is focused more on, on low income earners. This is the government saying, actually, we need to help middle-income earners as well. I think that makes sense. Uh, my only issue with it at this point is that the scale isn't there. You know, they're talking about creating eight to ten thousand units over five years with this program, and that'll help those those folks who uh, move into those units. But uh, we need much bigger action on the housing front. The government is doing a lot, including on zoning reform, but you know, it it, it does take time to see those. Uh, uh, results on the ground. And, uh, you know, some of that action came too late. It's been a flurry over the past few months, but people are still feeling the pinch on on housing, especially. I find it interesting because when we talk about the eight to 10,000, that's not only uh, BC that's talked about that for our province, but also Justin Trudeau on Monday when he came into town mm-hmm. and talked about that. I think we need probably 10 times that amount uh, 10,000, I mean, Surrey is growing by more than 10,000 people a year. And that's just one city. This is and not you enough. Look, you look at what the, you know, the Canada Mortgage Housing Corporation has estimated that uh, by 2030, BC needs to add 600,000 homes above current building trends to return to the affordability levels we had back in the early 2000s. So that gives a sense of the scale of what's needed here. You know, when you look at some of the other government measures on housing, the zoning reform legislation that we saw in the fall, you know, allowing more apartments in, in areas that had been uh, uh, made exclusive to single family homes, uh, that the estimate there is that that could create 250,000 homes over 10 years. So that's putting a dent into it, but it also shows you, you know, compared to 600,000, uh, still, still more action is needed on this housing front. We're talking with Alex Hemingway. He is an economist and public finance policy analyst with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Alex, in light of that and uh, the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives and the approach that you support, do you think that the NDP is doubling down and showing that they're doubling down on a philosophy that it is not the market that should be dictating uh, the housing solution or a housing crisis solution? Well, it's interesting. I think they're taking an all-of-the-above approach. So, uh, you know, addressing zoning and land use issues, essentially municipal restrictions on housing creation, you know, that's in part a market-oriented solution uh, to housing. And that's, you know, this provincial government just in, in the past few months has done more on that than any other province in the country. So they are leading. Uh, but, of course, we have the biggest housing crisis uh, in, in the country. And I think that it's important that that uh, supply side approach be coupled with a non-market housing approach as well. So more public investment in dedicated affordable housing. We at the CCPA have been calling for a build out of uh, 25,000 units of non-market uh, uh, publicly invested uh, housing per year. And that could really put a dent in that need. And that's, that's what's going to be essential to meet the needs of, of folks on on the lower and lower middle end of the income spectrum, uh, particularly while we catch up on on dealing with the housing shortage 
uh, because we've been underbuilding for, for decades now. Alex, I appreciate your time this morning and your perspective on this. Uh, good to have this breakdown and uh, your look at it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. Heading into your weekend, here's one to think about. There is new research out from the Pew Research Center in the States, but I think that we can probably find parallels in this country with this finding, which I find a little bit different and perhaps shocking. And it has to do with families and parenthood and the future. You see, the headline for the Pew Research Center is, Among young adults without children, men are more likely than women to say they want to be parents someday. Really? Yeah, those Americans age 18 to 34 who were never married say that they would like to get married someday, and more than half of young adults in that age group who don't have children say they would like to be parents, and yes, it is the men leading the women. Why? What's going on here? And what has changed, and is it a stereotype that we've held on to for so long where we think it is women that naturally gravitate more than men toward this? Well, let's bring in some perspective and see if there is an answer to some of these questions. Marina Adshade is an assistant prof of teaching at the University of BC. She specializes in economics and gender. Good morning, Marina. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. I find this interesting. I, I do think that there are some other questions that come to mind. Uh, and I wonder if this is assuming that all couples are heterosexual, for example. But um, are you shocked by the finding? No, I'm not shocked by the finding. And, you know, it's as long as we have data, which goes in Canada goes back to about 1990, women have always been more likely than men to say they don't want to have children. And then we don't have data before that, but I think it's actually reasonable to assume that going back even farther than that, men have always had a preference, a stronger preference for having children than women have. Now, given that reality and what you're saying there, it brings to mind that we have a terrible cultural bias or understanding that's even played out in pop, pop culture where, you know, stories are written about uh, how, you know, it's the man that comes around uh, to wanting children. We've got it wrong, eh? Well, we do. And I think that it, it's interesting because if you spend any time thinking about it, I think all of your listeners know that when couples have children, 
that most of the work of taking care of that children falls on the women. And not only that, is that having children tends to really interfere with women's work life. And we know that there is a, a gap in wages between women who don't have children and women who do, which we call the, the mommy gap. So there's, there, are, there are very real costs to having children for women. And of course, there's costs for men too, but they're just not the same. And this has been true going back in, in time. But of course, we do have this stereotype. And I think that what it comes from is the fact that from the time that girls are very young, society constantly tells them that the most important thing they can do is to become a mother. And there's just not the same conversation around men. And so this kind of generates this idea that, having children is more important to women than it is to men. Yeah, there's that disconnect. We still, even in 2024, and there are dolls around, but the dolls are geared toward, guess what, women. Um, And uh, it's almost like, let's play house. Daddy, uh, you know, it's almost like if there is a trope that's associated with the 1950s that still lives on, it's in how we take a look at um, children and how we say that they're the ones that want the motherhood. It's the women. It's the girls. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I really think that the, the most interesting conversation to have around this is why it is that we think that men don't want children. And children are, there's a lot of benefits to men of having children. I mean, children give people joy. It gives them, you know, something to think about for a long time. It gives men status. And actually, as it turns out, men who are, have children actually earn more than men who do not. So I don't really know where that societal stereotype came from. The fact that men have to be forced into parenthood or they have to be talked into parenthood when a lot of men really enjoy being parents. We have that term that's still around today, maternal instinct. Is that outdated? I mean, I think that it's, I mean, I don't know that it's outdated. And of course, there's a lot of women who want children. Although I will say this, you know, one of the most interesting things about that Pew Research uh, survey is that only 43% of women who had no children say they're certain they want children. So it's actually less than half of women say that they want children. Um, but, you know, I think the thing is, is that, like, these, these qualities, it's very difficult to assign them across the board to everybody based on their sex and gender, you know, so there are women who have a real, very real drive to become mothers. I was one of them, right? But there are women who have no drive to be mothers. And it's just the same for men, where there's men who have drives to be fathers and other men who do not have drives to be fathers. So I think really the problem is just assuming that people are very different from one another based on their gender, where really men and women are much more similar than we think they are. You touched on this a bit, and I want to expand on it because... It is a reality, at least it has been, not saying it's right, but uh, the reality is that women tend to pick up most of the responsibility for raising a child in those couples that are men and women. Uh, Is this uh, something that is changing or will likely change? And does this research really help us understand it doesn't have to be that way? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that I think that there has been a long-standing history of, of women contributing the lion's share of caregiving, and this is changing. I'm sure that many of your listeners, you know, are, are they're like, well, I actually do the lion's share, um, and so I think that that men are picking up more. 
um, along uh, over time. But actually, you know, this is one of the reasons why I think we're not just seeing an increase in the number of women who say they don't want children, but we're also seeing increases in the number of men who say they don't want children. And I think in part of that is because there's a greater expectation for men to do the work now. They're not just coming home from work and sitting in front of their TV or their game console. They, When they come home, they're doing that second shift, which women have always been doing, you know, have the idea of having a second job when you get home, which is the job of taking care of the children. There's still that pressure that young adults feel, mostly from parents or grandparents, families, the greater family, extended family, that uh, having a good family means having kids. And it's not just about being a couple. That exists today. But it does put more responsibility on women, doesn't it? Well, you know, actually, it's interesting. One of the things that came out of Pew Research Survey is that the overwhelming majority of young adults say they're not getting any pressure from their parents, which is, I think, one of the more surprising things in that study, because I think that there is a a kind of ongoing uh, expectation for for parents that hopefully they'll become grandchildren, have grandchildren one day. Of course not, because grandchildren are perfect. You don't have to actually take care of them all the time, but you still get all the joys of having uh, children in your family. Um, but, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that that is also changing where you're seeing more parents saying to their adult children, listen, if you want to have children, that's up to you, but we're not going to interfere. Where do we go from here that may be more positive in uh, raising a family, given research like this? I mean, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I, I think that there are really two things that will, first of all, countries around the world, not our country, but countries around the world have tried to bring in policies to encourage people to have more children. And they've been largely ineffective, right? We just need, you know, but, but you know, if we're going to bring in policies that allow people to have the number of children that they want to have, because it's really hard to encourage people to have more children than they want. Um, really, the big differences would be, First of all, availability of childcare, daycare would make a big difference because it makes it easier for families to both work and have children. But actually, I think the biggest place for movement is changing around ideas about fatherhood. You know, for example, we we could do with having way more men taking parental leave when their children are born. We need to have workplaces that are more flexible for fathers so they can participate in their children's lives. And even though we've made a lot of progress on how we think about women and how we think about motherhood and we think about women working, I actually think we have a long way to go in how we think about men. You know, the ability of men to say, um, I have to leave work now because my daughter needs to be taken to the doctor. I mean, we're still not there yet. And I think that that would make the biggest difference because it would allow greater quality in childcare. And I think that that would encourage more families to have children. Given that, are we still skewed in this divide between men and women based on biology and who's able to give birth? I don't know that it is biology, though. I mean, it's true that for the first, you know, maybe year of of a child's life, you know, women's biology is going to dictate more attachment, especially for, for mothers that are breastfeeding. But that doesn't necessarily need to be true. So I'm not sure that it is as biologically determined as people think it is. I think a lot of it is very socially constructed. The idea that women will be the caregivers and men will be the providers, this was part of our society for a very long time. And even though the majority of Canadian households are ones where 
men and women earn the same income or at least earn very similar incomes, we're still working through kind of developing our ideas or social ideas around men's contribution to to caregiving. If we do get to a point where we have more men taking on responsibility and recognizing that there is more of a role for men, do you think that there will be some ramifications in the workplace when it comes to things like pay? Well, I mean, if, I think that this is actually a really, really important question because we, we continue to have a gender wage gap. We, there's definitely a, a mommy wage gap so that women who have children are paid less even than other women and men who have children are paid more. So having children really creates that contributes to that gap. But I think that the answer to the gender wage gap is not making workplaces more flexible for women. The answer to the wage gap is making workplaces more flexible for men. We, we need to have workplaces where men can take time off for the children, where they can take parental leave without feeling that they're going to be stigmatized at work, uh, where they can to focus more on family um, that would do a, make a big difference in terms of the, the the gap in wages between men and women because then employers, when they hire people, wouldn't be thinking, oh, well, if I hire this woman, she's just going to end up taking maternity leave. Maybe she'll never come back. Maybe she won't be as productive because she's going to be taking care of the children all the time. We need to have greater quality so that, that those type of ideas start to disappear. It seems like some of that thinking still exists today, and you could bring in rules and regulations about what you ask, even in hiring people. But I wonder if uh, the conversation behind closed doors or in somebody's mind is still very biased. And I wonder if that actually contributes to career tracks and uh, career trajectory. And in saying that, I'm still reminded that there is a term out there called the mummy track in a career. And... uh, that's not right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's not. I mean, actually, you say this. You say that this is just in the people's minds, but I actually have a friend here in Vancouver who uh, was refused a promotion because he took parental leave. When he went out for promotion, his employer said, no, we won't, we won't promote you because you took time off when your children were born. It, it, it's, it's, it's crazy um, how much these, 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 these ideas are, are persistent, right? Um, and where we, we're just like, we're not going to hire her because she's going to have children. It's, they say this outright, but they don't say it now. They just kind of keep it secret. But also, too, like, I'm not going to promote this person to a leadership position because it's a lot of travel, but she has children, so maybe she won't want to travel. Or I'm going to promote this man because he has a family to support. Of course, women have families to support, too. So we... We have a long way to go. And there's really, as you've already said, there's only so much we can do in terms of passing laws because we can't um, monitor all of these decisions, right? We can just hope that over time people's attitudes change, change towards people with children um, in in a way that uh, makes it easier for people to be successful with careers, balance their careers, and still have a family. I love conversations like this because if we're talking about change in the future, it starts with actually having a discussion. Thanks so much for your time, Marina. Great. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. 
and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. First clock it in for Mike Smith, and you may have heard showers in the forecast for most of this weekend, including Sunday. But not to fear, here's one that is a BC tradition, always makes one feel very good. It's a 2024 variety show of hearts this weekend. Chance to tune in for the 58th annual show. It's going to be live on Global BC on Sunday between 1 o'clock and 5.30 in the afternoon. A chance to learn more about the impact Variety has and hear more about donors and what they're doing to help BC children with complex health requirements. Always a great show and a great chance to see what's going on. Makes you feel good inside. Andrea Tang is the CEO of Variety, the children's charity, and she joins me now. Andrea, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks so much for having me, Bruce. Are you ready to go? We're ready and we're excited. Um, It's going to be a really exciting show this weekend. Um, Viewers will be treated to stories of hope and courage and resilience from kids and families all across um, the province. And we have an incredible lineup this year as well. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the lineup. But first, before we even get there, 58 years, that's older than me. You, you know, we're so um, we're so grateful for our community and our community of supporters. Events like the Show of Hearts really allows us to raise critical funds um, needed to try to meet the demands of kids across our province. And it's our 58th annual Show of Hearts this year, um, so we're all just really excited and, and really really grateful um, to see the the community across BC come together year over year. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's heartwarming to hear those stories, but uh, just on the entertainment value alone, uh, there's always a lot there. And this year is no different. In fact, some big names I'm just taking a look at, uh, ones like Tom Cochran. Yes, we have Tom Cochran um, and appearances and performance from um, Natalie Portman, Seth Rogen, uh, the Reclaws, Martin Shorts. Uh, so a, a lot of um, incredible individuals coming together um, to support kids so that more kids um, can be can be kids and, and can thrive and fulfill their unique potential. Some of the people that come into the show, I, I'm always impressed at your ability to get them to, over to Vancouver for a show like this. Are they willing? Are they ones that look forward to coming in for such a cause? Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it's kids. You know, it's it's kids, and it's it's kids with 
disabilities and really complex healthcare needs. So we are uh, just really grateful for the people that come alongside and support. This year, there'll be a mix of live performances and some taped performances and appearances as well. But we're really excited to be um, back at the sh- uh, back live this year. And let's this talk program. a little bit about this because this year is different than previous years or the previous few years because you're back live. What's that all about? We're really excited to be in, you know, in community this year. Um, the sh- show will be held at uh, the Shipyards District in, in North Vancouver, um, and uh, we will have some live performances as well. We'll have the Global BC team out there, um, as well as just the, the families and kids um, that will be sharing their stories um, all across the show. I'm going to ask you about some of these stories because... You're going to get a chance on Sunday to uh, to hear many of them. But if we were just to kind of tease a little bit about a story that stands out in your mind, somebody that's helped out by the actual fundraising of the donors and the donors that contribute so much in BC, tell me a little bit about someone that stands out in your mind or one story of many. One of the first Friday moms I had met, she had said to me, um, I waited over five and a half years to hear my son say mama and Variety gave that to me. Um, and so to me, that was so powerful. Um, you will hear stories um, of children who've received supports from um, speech and, and uh, language therapy um, to private autism assessments to uh, adaptive and mobility equipment. Um, we really try to come alongside um, families and Variety really steps in where healthcare ends. Um, we help kids and families gain um, access to essential programs and services and equipments often when all other avenues of support have been exhausted and there's nowhere else to turn. You know, you talk about cost, and we all know that the cost of living has increased so much, and uh, the system, the medical system, is really stressed. So more than ever, and 58 years of history, but more than ever, uh, you're able to reach, what, 600 children and youth uh, waiting to hear about some of these programs? Right now, we have about 600 kids waiting to hear if we they're on the wait list and waiting to hear if we can provide the supports that they need. Um, really, we are seeing overwhelming numbers of families reaching out to Variety. We have a couple hundred reaching out to Variety every every month. Um, families are really struggling with inflation and rising costs. So um, every gift truly matters and, and makes a difference for kids in our community. When you say every gift really does matter, there is some good news here. In that, uh, there's dollar matching, dollar for dollar, isn't there? Yes, yes. Um, Donations will be matched going twice as far for kids. Um, And so uh, viewers can donate online at variety.bc.ca. Call 310-KIDS or text KIDS to 45678 to make an automatic $25 donation and gifts will be matched um, and doubled, making um, even more of an impact for kids. We want to get the numbers up every year, and uh, we will this year. I know that. I know it uh, through the hard work of so many people making this a reality. But um, how many applications for the grants are you getting? Is that up? 
Yes, uh, um, we are seeing um, just unprecedented numbers of requests that are, are coming in. So we receive a couple hundred of, um, of requests uh, every every month. And right now we do have about 600 kids waiting to hear if uh, we'll be able to say yes to them and, and provide the supports that they they truly need. If somebody is to tune in and watch the show on TV on Sunday afternoon and may not be familiar with how this works, explain a little bit of what they can expect. Uh, You know, you'll be really inspired by the stories of the families um, and you'll be um, inspired and uh, by the entertaining the t- entertainment as well. We just have a really great lineup um, this year as well, all in support of, of kids in our province. Okay, and once again, if you want to donate even before the show on Sunday, Andrea, you can do so right now, can't you? Absolutely. Donate online, variety.bc.ca, call 310-KIDS, text KIDS to 45678 um, to make an automatic $25 donation. And again, um, every gift does make a difference and, and matters and will be doubled and matched. Doubled and matched and even small ones do add up and that's all very important. Andrea, congratulations so far on all the work leading up to this weekend and thanks for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.